What do you mean, bro? Christian Fletcher's younger brother. Fuck the Dodgers. Oh, big dogs in. What do you think, Dolan? John, Schmitty, talking Schmidt. Alpha macaroni. Most of these guys, their opinion don't matter. Talking Schmidt, right? It's skateboarding. I remember that. Talking Schmidt. What are Yuns doing? Holy shit. Skateboarding homies. No, Schmidt, you can't jump in. What is happening? I'm here for Greg Smith. Yay! Gregory. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Wi-Fi check one, Wi-Fi check two. Yeah, it was kind of cool going to Los Altos Pool and seeing the people there. I think some of the people that I met there, I still know to this day. Oh, sick. Yeah. You know? 
that's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, I think that skaters are just like it's skateboarding, and the memories we have, you can't you can't negate. Like we'll always have those. So it's like, fuck cab, like your ramp, like Christian, the trips, like whatever it is, you're gonna always remember that when you see these guys and be able to have those feelings presently like fuck in the 80s we had these feelings and now we're reliving them and some of those feelings are coming up again i mean you nobody can take that away and i don't know being like the pioneers of creating a lot of the stuff that's still going on and the ethos and everything that you know comes along with like being a gnarly dude or all that shit it's just cool that like here we are still and it's still going strong i mean skateboarding is fucking huge as we know now but uh, oh yeah yeah it's uh you <clears throat> mentioned uh the downhill guy um hudson hudson talk about it a little bit because monterey has the the laguna seca or whatever and that was a big deal right oh yeah yeah it was um one <laughs> one of the first things um that I ended up covering in Thrasher after they told me to write. Um, after Novak said, yeah, man, you're going to write now. Really? <laughs> I don't know how. He goes, just read this book. Mm. I'm going to give you this book. And when you're done reading this book, you'll know how to write. Really? What book? It's called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Huh. I'm like, oh, okay. So, you know, I would go to these events and then come home, take acid, and try to write. <laughs> and Until they told me, no, don't do the acid part. Yeah. Shrooms? No, 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 no. But uh, Laguna Seca was, was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I went down. We we went down there in Fausto's white Volvo, um, and it was me, Stesic, Swenson, uh, Andy Croft, uh, KT, and I think if you look at the article, you see a a photo of us all standing around Fausto's Volvo. Mm. And I'm wearing like some mirrored cop glasses and leather vest. Well, leather jacket with the sleeves ripped off. Um, and you know, a biker bandana and and uh, taking notes. Huh. I'm I'm a writer now. <laughs> I, I guess I better take notes. Fausto drank another beer at 9.30 a.m. <laughs> and um, I remember that there was some... So anyway, yeah, those guys were doing the downhill at Laguna Seca, and we'd be kind of standing there at the bottom turn or whatever. I never knew how far they went because I never went up to the top and I never went up to the bottom. I just stayed in one spot uh. and just kind of sat there in the dirt, you know, 
Um, and then I would see Hudson go screaming by, like, way in the lead of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I'm, and, and doing his hut tuck, which basically involved his, you know, him down, bent down, leaning forward, you know, over the front trucks, kind of leaning forward with his arms straight back behind him. I'm like, oh, dude, I mean, you just lean forward a little bit more, you just teeth right into the asphalt, but no, I mean, so, I mean, it was so precarious and he just had it dialed just just right uh, I mean he wasn't like some big fat guy or whatever what would you know uh, he kind of a not very tall either um, but somehow he had it dialed where he would just sail down you know and you know some guys sometimes that they would get like fairings they would have duck butts They'd have weird helmets. Hudson just had his little flyaway and spandex or whatever and just got into his tuck and kicked ass. Sick, dude. I remember uh, there was some guys from some BMX magazine or something, and I hated BMX mm. stuff because they fucking start coming into skate parks and... You go up it's and dangerous. do something, and then you turn around, whoa, there's a bike. Yeah. You don't hear them coming up on you, you know, the yeah. rubber tire. And then they're just, suddenly they're there. Um, and so I just really didn't like that. So there's these BMX guys, or magazine, and they, they had this bike rigged up a certain way where they had a camera down off of like, you know, one of the, you know, rigged up onto the bike somehow down road level. And, and Stesic is going like, that's like a $700 uh, lens on that camera there. Really? Yeah, you should get it. Okay. So I'm, these guys are talking. They're not paying attention. I'm down there <laughs> unscrewing this lens. And they turn around and look at me, and I just kind of dunk my hand down towards the ground and, and, and hit the ground, and the lens lands in my hand. <laughs> I'm going, holy shit, I just saved your lens. Here, let me put it back on there for you. <laughs> I was like, I thought it looked kind of loose and and then i poked it and it fell right off and they're going dude really like yeah 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 you you, you, you almost lost your lens there <laughs> so good <laughs> stasic's like on close you got lucky yeah close <laughs> my fuck but you know working with those guys i learned to think fast you know <laughs> think on your feet you gotta have yeah uh who were some of the early guys that bonded like that had thrashers back skater wise like obviously cab has the most covers of all time and he was san jose which is pretty local 
Um, but who are some of the guys maybe that you wouldn't expect that like was instantly down with you guys and maybe you'd go visit them or they'd come out to the city and shoot photos with and stuff? Well, um, Rodney. Oh, um, Rodney Mullen. Yeah, Fausto would get Rodney out there and go, here, take him on and do photos. He's got one of the first Ollies ever on the cover, right? That In yeah. San Francisco. Yeah, that was one of those times. Okay. Go take photos of Rodney. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> yeah, I can do photos. I'll figure it out. Huh. I remember that was with an A1 with a Vivitar 20 millimeter lens that I shot that laying down on the ground outside the what was that uh, what's that opera house center down there on Van Ness, on Van Ness? yeah is that where that photo is yeah oh okay and then um, I took him down to uh, like Powell Street um, and Market Powell Market where the trolley kind of turns around and mm. stuff and he did some freestyle there and then I had him do something like in front of Macy's the awning in front of Macy's and people walking by and he's just doing some weird shit it's just like what the f yeah Rodney just skating yeah he's just skating and then I remember taking him to Pier 39 and there was like this whole big scent I mean the, the inside Pier 39 I just remember like these walkways that were up high like on the second level or whatever and and then a big courtyard and then I go Rodney just do some shit right here in the middle and uh, then I went walked up onto the top and by the time I got up there he was like buzzing away and the whole walkway was like lined with people like looking at him like I mean nobody'd seen anything like that before yeah you know and then um I kept making him change his shirts mm. I go okay let's get the fuck out of here let's go to Golden Gate Park <laughs> put on a different shirt so I went to Golden Gate Park, and then he did some stuff there, and I took some pictures of him in the background. I think I interviewed him that time. Okay. Um, and then we went to uh, out by Union, out in the, um, what do they call that? What do they call that area out Union there? Union Square? No, not there. Out the street that you take out and, and the road that ends up taking you across Golden Gate Bridge. Lombard. Van Ness. Oh, yeah. Okay, so yeah. Lombard and there's a little area out there. Um, That's by Fort Mason? They used to call Four Corners and all that stuff for all okay, that. Okay, like Chrissy Field. Yeah, but in... Inmore. Inmore towards the, um, that big hill. Um there was the there's an old 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 bar tavern restaurant whatever and um there was a cop motorcycle cop parked right there looking away from us across the street and I go Rodney do one of those things where you stand up and 
and then you turn and you do your pinkies up or whatever, you know. So we're, you know, he kicks up the board onto the tail and he's standing on the trucks and he's so he's doing some trick there with right behind him is a motorcycle cop. Right. You know, and then you can see the the intersection actually, I think, where Joe DiMaggio used to live. Oh, okay. What's that uh, that section called? Uh the marina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marina district. That's yeah. what I, that's what I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. So but towards the hill a little bit and there's that one street that has all that shopping center. At Not Lombard, but Fine Arts is over there and stuff. Yeah, that's further further down. Yeah. Further down. Okay, yeah. got you. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so we went out there and he you know, he performed behind a performed behind a cop's back. Okay. Sick. And then after that then I'm like going, Okay, we're done. And we go to North Beach and um, I'd get a couple bottles of wine, some whiskey, a beer, and he'd drink some soda, and then we'd we'd talk about everything, philosophy, all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, was he like, always on it like that? He's pretty smart. He was re- really articulate for a kid. Yeah, I'm like, wow. I mean, I learned a lot from the guy. Yeah, he has those TED Talks where he, like, explains skateboarding to people that wouldn't know about skateboarding. It's like to your mom or something. He, yeah. He's actually explaining it, and you're like, that's what I've been trying to say this whole time. Yeah, he puts it in a such an eloquent way now. Mm. But back then, he didn't talk like he does now. Oh, okay. So he was just a little kid. Got, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very funny. How did Fausto know him? Um, Well, he, he just knew that the guy had a lot of talent, and he wanted him to be in the magazine, so he got a hold of him. Oh, okay. And then eventually designed a, a truck, oh. a freestyle truck. Yep. Indie, the narrow ones, right? Yeah. I remember. That have these little shoulder-type thing. Whoops. For your feet? Yeah, so little areas on there where he could kind of get a little toehold or whatever. Right. Kind of thing. Okay. I remember Faust was like, photograph these things and make them look awesome. (laughs) You mean you don't want them blue? Yeah. I could use ectochrome on that shit. <laughs> Fucking old guy. I used to have a nick, several nicknames for him, but um, one was Knit, because he was a knit pick. Ah. Uh, knit pick, 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 pick. Hey, Knit. And so in the story, it was like, yeah, so me and Knit went, so, I mean, so if you read some of those old stories, it's ah. me and nitpick and neck. That means we were traveling with Ro- Roscoe. With Roscoe. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Somebody was telling me, uh, I wrote it down here. It's uh, for the Laguna. It's probably that same one because he said, uh, you all piled into a Volvo station wagon and picked up this guy, Matt Bilak. 
because he was skating home down the highway and told him that he should be riding indies and he has ever since rode uh indies since that day i guess a friend of mine knows this guy and you guys were heading back and he was skating down the highway like Pierre would do or something and you guys gave him a ride and you're like, you guys, you gotta be riding. I get here if I was like, put indies on that yeah. thing. Get that guy some fucking indies. Here. Yeah. Don't so. let him take those trucks off. You take them off. Mofo useless. You're not doing nothing. Here. <laughs> and after that, roll some more joints. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, the days, right? Uh, well, you said um, you would be down to... Wait, we haven't had our morning joint yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I, with Fausto, you, there's the morning joint, there's the smoke the rest of the morning joint after the first break. Mm-hmm. There's the after lunch joint, and then there's smoke the rest of the after lunch joint at the afternoon break. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess... It would like how much was what you were doing inspired by getting a little high and cutting the edge off, right? Like smoking and drinking was super in. I thought I was just being a writer. Oh, <laughs> that's what Hunter S. Thompson. That's what. Did. Yeah, he yeah. said read this book. So like I was supposed to drink a lot, uh-huh. supposed to do a lot of drugs, supposed to smoke a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember I. Sh- um, some big old ashtrays out when I was in Europe like huge like 10 inches across and then I would have that on my desk on my drawing table this is when we used to make the magazine before computers Mm -hmm. and did the waxing and layouts and overlays and all that shit and um, (laughs) that (laughs) that thing used to be a mountain of cigarette butts in there. So we like, you know, we smoked cigarettes in our offices and all that shit, and uh, and smoked other things and drank a lot of things. <laughs> um, dinosaur fuel. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that ashtray would just be piled, and then you know, deadline would come along, and um, we'd have to pull like two or three all-nighters. Me and KT, so, you know, we'd, we'd get a giant bag of blow and, and a bunch of whiskey and vodka and stuff and, and just sit there and work all night through. And and um, and then I'd be digging through this ashtray, like unfolding cigarettes. <laughs> and like, oh, this one's almost half an inch left of cigarette left above the filter. So... You know, and like, and then we'd be like, let's just get a whole bunch of these tobacco roaches and just roll one. Yeah. So, yeah, those were days. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, so much to think about. Did you, uh, did you have much interaction with Jay Adams? Yes. Um, he used to call me in the middle of the night. All the time. What's up, dude? <laughs> it's middle of the day here in Hawaii. Oh. Fucker, it's like three in the morning. Why are you waking me up? <laughs> um, but yeah, he and I on that uh, 
trip to Japan, he and I ended up being roommates mm. in the hotel. How was that? Oh, it was. It was. It was great because basically, I'd be out all night, come in, and he would be getting out of the shower, getting ready to leave for the day, and I'd just plop down into the bed. I just not could not get in sync. <laughs> the jet lag had me bad. Uh, okay. And well, yeah, it was the jet lag. And then there was the fight with the Australian guy in the bar. And then there was putting the drunk girl in the taxi cab in the Roppongi district um, who ended up melting. And I finally got her in the cab and her boyfriend handed me like $500. Like, thank you, thank you. I'm like, okay. All right, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, he and I would just pass each other in the, you know, in, in the, the doorway okay. to the hotel room. And then I drank the, all of the stuff out of the little mini fridge. Didn't know we were getting charged for it. So that was like a few hundred dollars. Mm. Um, so, which I didn't have. So, I ended up selling my Levi's, and I had enough money not only to pay for the tab for the room, but I had enough money left over, and I bought myself a, a disc man. Ah, the old disc man. Yeah, that had no shock ability. So, <laughs> you bumped it, and it just skipped. Um, and I only had one disc, uh, and on the airplane ride back, I was, it was one of those weird planes that has the big bulge on the roof. Yeah. DC-10, maybe? Uh, whatever it is. Yeah. So, I mean, so, like, you had to go upstairs to these other seats, and I got stuck up there, and I had no idea where everybody else was. So I was up there by myself with one CD, only one pair of pants. Fuck. <laughs> and my new disc man, um, it, it was... What was the disc you had in there? Dead the, Kennedys? No, no, I think it was the... Um, it was a uh, 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 ministry. Oh, ministry. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, okay. So I got introduced to a lot of ministry. One album. <laughs> On loop. Yeah, over and over and over. I tried to sleep and stuff. But yeah, that was that was strange, and I couldn't find Jay. Huh. On there. Uh, on the plane. He was somewhere. Yeah. He and I would, would always talk on the phone. He would always give me a call. Um, because, which leads me to a photograph. Ah, okay. Um, Here we go. Which is one of my favorite photographs that I took, and it's uh, Jay Adams doing a backside slash 
on the coping on Cab's ramp, on his backyard ramp at his mom's house. I like it because, to me, it tells a lot on the very right-hand side of the frame. You can see um, barely, but, um, but Billy Ruff is there. Is and that Billy on the roof? No. Oh, okay. Billy is on the deck right next to me, and he kind of is just creeping in, so you just see oh. like a shoe and a part of his board. Yeah. On the roof is Hasoy. Oh, that's Christian. About to do a bomb drop onto Cab's ramp. Yeah. And on the opposite deck, standing there, is Cap. And after I took the shot of Jay doing that slash, I ran down, (laughs) climbed down off the ramp, ran around underneath where Hasoy was, and it was funny because it became overcast right around that time. So I had to change all the lighting, I mean, all my settings and stuff because the shot of Jay was when the sun peaked out. Right. And then I run down there and it's completely overcast and there's no sunlight at all. And so I'm down below and Hasoy's like kind of, it's he was looks like a cat, like looking and then calculating and it's going to make this jump to go to the, from one place to another mm. and so there's a soy like kind of like figuring it out you know what he was going to do he's never did it before so he just figured he was just going to jump out put his foot on the front towards the nose of the board and then just kind of drop down on the ramp so he so I go down there and I got him midway jumping across doing that and the main I mean that was like wow this is incredible this has never been done before I think that was before the ramp battle Mm. Um, because I know I took a, a photo of him doing a bomb drop at the ramp battle but I knew what he was gonna do right because I had already seen him do this. Lord Wizard. 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 Tickety-tack. Hey, it's Corey at Blue Plate, 3218 Mission Street. Come see us. Meatloaf, fried chicken, deviled eggs, Dollar Olympia beers. We're here every day of the week. We got a garden and we got smiles on our faces. Come let us make you happy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tomorrow, tear me apart I think of the past, you are the pain of my heart What's dead to the world? What's right, what's wrong? Hot wind, cold night, demons light is 
the significance of why Jay Adams, Billy Ruff, Christian Asoy, and Caballero are all together is that that was the very first skate rock weekend. Oh. And so basically, a whole bunch of guys stayed at our place and slept on the floor whatever we lived up on top of Petrero Hill at uh, Swenson's apartment um, and so in the morning we drove down there to cabs and did a shoot there then we went to San Jose State and and shot on the, the bricks that were there oh, before yeah. they put the other bricks on there to stop people from skating um and then that first evening i think it was a friday was a show at um tool and die which was basically down in this basement so you'd go into like this you know metal shop or whatever right and then you there was this door that opened out of the floor and then you kind of climb down these steps down in and there's dirt walls or whatever and a big post and stuff, but they would have punk shows down there. Um, so we had the first skate rock show was there. It was like Los Olvidados, Scoundrels, JFA, maybe I think the Faction, maybe. And then the next night, um, at the on Broadway, was the Trunk Engines. Uh, oh wait, Los Olvidados was at Tula. I don't know if I mentioned that. Yeah. Um, and um, and then Drunk Engines minus one, free beer, um, black athletes. Uh, I think. Maybe the big boys. I, I oh. got. I got to look at the flyer again. I'm, I'm just shooting. Yeah, making shit up as I go along here. But that's all on one weekend. Like, like yeah, we had two sh- two shows. Wow. First night at the Tool and Dies, and the second night at the On Broadway. Now, um, I created the Drunk Engines because, well, I created. I let me rewind further back here. I'd been receiving a whole bunch of cassettes and um, for the and, and stuff. Uh, 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 well, cassettes of, of of skaters who had bands, and they were sending me music, and I was like listening to it and like, oh man, this stuff's pretty good. You know, and like Borscht and Detroit's and, and Necros and yeah, JFA and. Big boys, they sent me an album. I'm like, wow, this is kind of cool. Hmm. Um, and so I'm listening to all this stuff, and I'm going, well, Cab's got his band started, and there's these other bands, and I. These guys, Los Olvidados, which is basically the original Drunk Engines, except with me singing. And so I talked to those guys. I go, well, 
you guys want to be on this compilation? Like, how about if we do some of our old songs and we'll put it on there too? And, and uh, you know, I, I think I might have been talking to Mike Fox or whatever. He goes, what, you can call it like Los Olvidados 2? I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, technically it would be one, but... And then I was taking a night class because I had to take photo 101 so I could remember how to develop film and stuff. So I went to City College, and in order to do that, I had to take an art class. So in that art class that I ended up having to take, um, they were making masks. And so, you know, I made this mask of, uh, of Omi, the old tattoo face guy. If you look up Omi, I think it's Omi, O-M-I. And so basically I cast my whole face, took it off, and then I just painted it to be like this guy. I still have that mask somewhere. I'll take a photo of it and send it to you. Yeah, sick. Um, I go, I can, I'll make masks, skull mask, and then uh, uh, Swenson at the time had become fond of calling me a drunk Indian. Um, and he had just gone through an evening of like overdoing that with me at Earl's nightclub where we would go and drink pictures upon pictures upon pictures of margaritas Mm -hmm. and then watch the girls dance it was a discotheque but new wave punk rock stuff they play with punk stuff and Mm. But anyway, it was a whole night of him like, you fucking drunk Indian, you fucking drunk Indian. I'm like, uh. And so I go, I know. We'll call ourselves Drunk Engines. And we'll just play, and then we'll go into the studio and record, and then we'll be viable, and then we'll put us on here too. Oh, okay. So that's what we did. Huh. I mean, and, and doing this without Fausto and Eric knowing. Totally under their noses. Yeah. Except they had hints when they would find, like, um, the originals for flyers that I would leave in the photocopy machine. <laughs> I would go over to photocopies and take them all so nobody would see them, but then forget the right. original. And, uh-huh. Yeah, so they go, this fucking you, what are you doing? Uh, a friend <laughs> asked me to, I only made 20. <laughs> That's coming out of your paycheck. Fuck. I only get $150 a week. I mean, <laughs> dude. So, anyway, I mean, they, they did not know. So I had the mask so they wouldn't know it was me up on stage. Right. And they didn't want me to do a band. They, well, they wanted me to stop doing Los Olvidados to work at Thrasher. They go, make a choice. Either work at the magazine or do the band. You can't do both. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be wanting to do the band. And you know, and we can't have people coming and calling here trying to talk to you about the band when we're trying to run a business here. So I'm like, oh, okay. I go, ah, so this is what I'll do. Wear masks so nobody knows it's me. I won't say my name attached to it. And then after the show, 
I'll kill us in a plane crash and we'll be dead and nobody will call us until we do another show. (laughs) And then I'll kill us again. And then however, however many times it takes until we're dead forever. It's been 40 years. 40. Wow. This year, 40 years. Damn. So back to the significance of that photograph Mm -hmm. is while I mean I took that photograph just those guys and do that at the same time I'm creating this fake band and creating skate rock and the skate rock release and this was to commemorate the very first ever skate rock um, in May 1983 I think it was May so this year marks 40, 40 years and we just played a show uh, at the beginning of June in Sacramento for the Endman movie. Right. So we're still we're still kicking. Cool. But while all that's happening, and hiding it from Fausto and Eric, and telling them all the other details of like, okay, I got this show set up and stuff. Um, oh, what I meant, I jumping around here but going back I had received all those cassette tapes and I went into Fausto and I said you know what we should do is we should do a compilation of all of this music he goes good idea do it oh wait 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 wait. (laughs) I'm just coming to you with the ideas bro (laughs) no no this is great just go do it how did I have no idea the fucking first thing to do to do. read a book learn how to do it there's a book somewhere that tells you how to do it just read that book hmm oh okay just like the writing I guess right just less drugs yeah <laughs> and booze so anyway I looked into and figured out and you know uh, ended up hooking up with Tom Mallon at Tom Mallon Studios because I just coincidentally happened to know him from recording Drunk Engines was that San Jose or San Francisco uh, San Francisco like at uh, Second and Townsend um, oh, right. and, in a really old old um, like but you would imagine like a textiles building warehouse to be you would go over to this you know service elevator freight elevator type thing where you would lift up a wooden slatted door and then lift up the other one and go in and then pull down these two doors and uh-huh. you know it's a giant like I don't know eight by ten eight foot by ten foot room elevator thing and go up and then come out and here's Tom Mellon in his little studio and um, he's since passed but he was a really great guy mm. um, I have good memories of that guy he was even keeled he you know we were a bunch of idiots going in there of course you know drunk engines gotta get drunk yeah. Do my vocals. Loosen it up. <laughs> the whiskey. I had a thing, a pint of whiskey and a big bottle of those little teddy bears full with honey. Mm. And just... Wow. Drag whiskey. And then just 
created, that's where um, we recorded My Dad Butch. Anyway, um, I went to Mallon to help master everything and organize and do the um, the uh, compilation. And then after we were all done with that, then, you know, uh, put together the Skate Rock Weekend. I mean, I did all that shit, all this stuff before internet, before cell phones. I have no clue how I pulled that off. That's sick. It's like the DIY mentality so long ago with like, okay, I got to do this. I'm going to read a book and get inspo, but you're still doing it. You're you're doing it. So it's not that way. It's like inspired by that. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And, um, I, I drew the cover for the cassette. It was cassette only because that's the wave of the future at the time, mm-hmm. way before there were CDs. Well, way before computers um that's crazy to think about like and all that shit at the same time still building the magazine uh, and still going on trips and and i'm like i can't even wash my dishes and and then you know fold my clothes and get you know it's like the day i get like two three things done maybe tops Today, I mean, got a, way more done than I've ever done in a while. <laughs> but back then, I'd get like dozens of things done each day and go home at 4.30 and then go out and party all night. But then, you know, roll in at 8.02 and get yelled at for being two minutes late. <laughs> crazy it seems like you were probably spending more time there than you were at your like you were spending nights there and long days to get all that stuff done well the magazine was my whole life and deadline it was everything gnar and then after deadline you can breathe for a little bit and then it comes back again it's like Burnett always says, the, you know, the mag comes out every month. Like, it has, you got to hit that deadline. Like, yeah. so it's like, it's like crunch time that last week. Like, fuck. Yeah, everything that you've worked on up to that point has to be done and ready for the putting it all together. Yeah. So you got to, like, think stuff through way in advance. You know, you got to war game it through and go, like, okay, this is going to, by the time this gets done, Two weeks from now, I got to have all this shit ready and dialed in so all of this will fall into place. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, when that day shows up, I'm screwed. I can't do it. Right. Know? And then back before computers, we would uh, go into, um, we had a stat camera 
So we would have to burn half tones and make photostats of things, and nobody knows what that is. <laughs> nobody has any idea what that is. Yeah. But, you know, like line artwork, stuff that you would do in Illustrator that would be vector now, that's kind of what a photostat was. And then if you wanted um, to reproduce a photograph, first we would make prints, uh-huh. And then the, the, the photographic prints that would make, I would have to make them a certain way that was basically just a little bit lighter than what you would need to do for a print that you would hang on the wall. So, and so would it be a little bit lighter and a little bit flatter? Mm. Because on your print, you're dealing with silver halides mm-hmm. pulled that word out of my ass <laughs> I don't know I think that's what the, that's that, right or it's on that the one. film let's just say it's silver halides yeah but it's not black uh-huh. so it's it's grayscale tonality to really 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 dark oily gray to you know really really light gray you know like a subtle shade that you would see in a puffy cloud kind right of thing. okay um and then what you do is you put that into the stat camera which is basically as a super large bellows camera mm. with the back is where you put the the receiving paper and then down below it was like a big camera aimed straight down okay and so you would put your photograph under glass on this thing and it would flatten out and this camera thing is aimed at it so if you put a photograph in there you have to put a a little uh, um uh like a, a sheet of mylar or plastic that has dots on it hmm and you put that in between the photograph and the receiving paper. So basically, when you expose the photograph, it goes, it exposes through that dot thing into the receiving paper and basically breaks up the whole thing into dots. And then we were having this problem where the lighter areas were blowing out having hot spots and the darker areas were becoming solid black almost no dot hmm. and and we had that problem for a while and then christmas parties were always fucking awesome and <laughs> back back in the 80s because uh-huh. everybody was in you know that was publishing and stuff in san francisco at the time you know we would go and do a seminar and stuff like that figure out how to do this shit um and then you get to know them, and then there would be uh, Wired magazine was just came out, and they would host parties, and like at a microbrewery or something. So you mm. go there, and everybody would drink, and you get to know these people and stuff. So you go, hey, I'm fucking photo stats and this and that. And then I met some guy who was like some old old guru of 
printing back in the old days. And he goes, you know that orange paper that comes with the film that you get? Yeah. Okay. So when you're exposing this thing, get that orange paper and put it in front of the lens for just a few seconds of your exposure time. And what that'll do is it'll put a dot into the black. It'll put a more of a white dot into the black and it'll put a grayscale dot into the white. Ah. Where by that time, see, you, you, you got to have the dots on there because, and that's a halftone screen. And so <clears throat> when you put together the artboards and do all that down, then you send it to the printer, they take all of that stuff that you wax down and stuff and they shoot negatives, okay? And so that dot needs to hold up and make it to that next generation. Okay. You see it? So you're taking that image and then you're doing that. So you want to make sure that you got a big enough dot in the white area so that just the tiniest of dot. So when the thing prints, there is the tiniest of dot where it should be white. Mm. And if there's no dot, then it's a hot spot kind of blowout and it looks fucked. <laughs> so and that's what we were yeah it's, dealing with it's a lot of crazy shit that no one even knows about now yeah you take a photo and then you have the negative okay that negative you shine a light through it and you expose paper and you make a a copy of what's on that negative on this paper and the thing is, is the negative doesn't stay perfectly flat all the way across so your image on the print might be slightly out of focus in one corner or not but still you're a generation away from the emulsion that's on the film mm -hmm. and then so then you have emulsion that's on the paper. And then you take that and you put that into a photostat camera and then you make a half tone. And so now you're three generations away from the original image. And then you do negatives. And then that's another generation. And then when that negative gets burned onto plates, that's another generation. And when that plate gets inked, and it's on a roller, it goes up against another roller where it transfers to ink, which is another generation, Fuck. and then it transfers that ink onto the printed page. What the fuck is that? Versus nowadays, you can take those negatives, scan them, and get super detail, you know, of the of the grain and the granularity of it and then you can adjust it in Photoshop and then put together your page and then the everything gets output digitally. Holy crap, I remember that. And so what gets put on the blanket that the ink gets transferred to is a lot sharper and has a lot more detail. 
because you don't have five or six generations yeah, of, exactly. of what your actual yeah. thing is. Right. And then now, you know, you have digital cameras that have super high resolution, which to me kind of looks weird because mm-hmm. I'm used to seeing negative film. Yeah, the same thing happened with video. It's like the HD came out and you're like, whoa, it's almost too clean and clear. Yeah. Let's finish up with a a song or something. I was thinking, like, I don't know if you want to talk about this one, but wasn't there a song that you guys wrote about um, Maria? Oh, it's it's a song. It's called Aram. Aram. And that's Maria spelled backwards. And like we would have the, uh, you know, a lot of places of work have the uh, little tradition of when somebody's birthday, they pass around a little birthday card and everybody signs it. Yeah. So, so I got one. It was Maria's birthday or something. And, and I wrote like a, off the top of my head, you know, I made some. You know, the days grow short and the nights grow cold. The steaming wind begins to blow. The mountaintop's hard to reach. And intimate secrets are hard to keep. Happy birthday. And I was like, holy shit, that's kind of cool. So I photocopied it. Ah. <laughs> and then we were trying to put together some um, uh, an album, the, our, the Frontside Grind album. And Ray Stevens had written two uh, songs he composed two songs um, acoustic type Uh, one was Aram and the other one was uh, Moments of Clouds and Rain wow I haven't thought about that song in a long time Um, but we we don't play those songs live because they're acoustic yeah and it just kind of has a yeah it's just difficult to pull off live uh-huh. So anyway, I was like raised like, hey, you know, I got these. You got any lyrics to put with it? I'm like flipping through my little thing. I go, hey, this will work. So I f- ended up naming it Aram in, you know, you know, homage to her. What could you tell people that don't know who Maria is? How it, what Maria was a receptionist at the mag? Um, Multi stuff, right? Yeah, she wore a lot of hats at the magazine. She's uh, Fausto's niece, I believe. Mm. Maria Mar- Martinez, I think Martinez. She worked sometimes in reception, but she ended up doing a lot of stuff on the... Um, I don't know if she did bookkeeping. She might have done bookkeeping. But on that end of... You know, I would do like the creative stuff and... and she was in the area of the company that uh, dealt with the day-to-day thing, make sure that the power stayed on. And, yeah. You know, the water was good. She didn't drink or do any of the drugs, so always more for me. <laughs> but, yeah, she was a sweetheart. Um, I, mi- I miss her dearly. The days go short, the nights grow. Hard to reach, 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at talkingschmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmitty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. Shout out. Love it! This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper. Keep the wheels greased.